uh, this morning I want to talk about hope, which nicely segues with what we've talked about already this morning, because we're hopeful, aren't we, of what God's going to do through our children and how we can minister to them, but also they can minister to us, but also they can go through their lives just making a real difference as they trust and hope in God. And to help us to sort of, uh, as we used to say, camp around a bit of word today, the word I want to use is a very well-known bit of scripture. And it's the scripture of Jairus's daughter, but also the woman with the issue of blood. And if you'd like to turn in that to your Bibles, it's Mark 5, 21, 43. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and a steward will come and beat you up. Um, but it's good, isn't it? We say this, check what we're saying. When we're using lots of Bible verses, check, read, see what they're saying to you. And also check we haven't just made them up. So Mark 5, 21 to 43. And before we start this, I'm going to ask you two rhetorical questions. And rhetorical means you don't need to answer me. So don't start shouting back or anything like that. But the two questions I want you to think about are, first one is, are you in battles? So are there battles that you're in? So think about that. And the second question is, would you say you've got hope? Because it's very easy to say, yeah, we're in battles, but we're letting the battles take over us. But hope, that gives us confidence to take on these battles and be part of them, know that God's there for us. So let's read this scripture together. So Mark 5, starting at verse 21. When Jesus went in the boat back to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him there. A leader of the synagogue named Jairus came there, saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He begged Jesus, saying again and again, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and will live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed Jesus and pushed very close around him. Among them was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered very much from many doctors and had spent all the money she had. But instead of improving, she was getting worse. When the woman heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his coat. She thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Instantly, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. At once, Jesus felt power go out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His followers said, look how many people are pushing against you. And you ask, who touched me? But Jesus continued, looking around to see who had touched him. The woman, knowing that she was healed, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Shaking with fear, she told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, dear woman, you are made well because you believed. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter is dead. There is no need to bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus paid no attention to what they said. He told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus let only Peter, 
James and John, the brother of James, go with him. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus found many people there making lots of noise and crying loudly. Jesus entered the house and said to them, Why are you crying and making so much noise? The child is not dead, only asleep. But they laughed at him. So after throwing them out of the house, Jesus took the child's father and mother and his three followers into the room where the child was. Taking hold of the girl's hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. This means, young girl, I tell you to stand up. At once the girl stood right up and began walking. She was 12 years old. Everyone was completely amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell people about this. Then he told them to give the girl something to eat. So what we see there is two people or two groups of people who met Jesus and they'd gone through a trial each, but then they believed and something happened. Now the first person, well, we sort of uh, encounter Jairus first, don't we? But the first person with a, rev a resolution is the woman with an issue of blood. Now, I'm being very honest here, and don't laugh, but it's only a few years ago I actually knew what an issue of blood meant in the Bible. I thought it meant just she had haemophilia or something like that. I didn't realize, gents, what it actually means. But women, you know, don't you? And, and the fact for her that this was such a problem, it wasn't just a normal, the normal cycle. This was something that was causing her huge distress throughout these 12 years she had. So men, if you still don't get it, speak to the ladies. They'll sort you out. They'll diagrams and everything. So she got this issue. And this had been going on for 12 years. And as you look through stories of people who encountered Jesus, most of them don't have an issue that just was like that, that suddenly, oh, I'm walking along, minding my business, then out of a cloudy colored sky or whatever it's called, bam, an issue hit. Ah, this is really hurting me, but I'm going to go and speak to Jesus and it's better. When you read through the scriptures, that is not what happened. Most people have had issues that have gone on for a long time. So even Jairus' daughter, she'd been ill. wasn't just that she immediately became dead. She was ill, and he was distressed by that. But when you look, you've got people who, um, it says they were ill for 38 years. I think that was the guy by the pool, wasn't it? The pool of Bethesda. There were also people who were ill their whole life and issues that they've been struggling with for a very long time. Another thing that commentators say is that a lot of these people may not have encountered Jesus for the first time when he came past and met with them when we meet them in scriptures. Because of the way Jesus did his ministry and also the way that people wanted to go and see him, it is very, very likely that a lot of these people would have come across Jesus in different situations. Maybe it was uh, being in part of a big crowd that we read about earlier in Mark. Or maybe it's when he's visited other towns, and especially later in the Gospels, they reckon it's very, very likely that people who got healed would have tried to get healed other times before, but maybe they couldn't because of different circumstances. But these people, they this is their chance 
They got to Jesus. But along the way, there were some what I call some hope killers, some things that could have stopped them, could have stopped them meeting Jesus and can stop us. They can stop us as a church and they can stop us in our individual lives. When we have problems, these are things that can stop us having hope. They can either kill it, kill hope, stone dead, or even they can strangle and squeeze hope of situations. And these are what they are. And I'll put the verse that they relate to on the screen for you. Firstly, a long wait. Sophie Cottrell's in today, and she probably doesn't remember. She goes to the school that I uh, work at, and she's always very, very helpful. And one of the times, because she, uh, she's our head student now, but she'd often say, is there anything I can do to help? And one of the things a few of us decided she could do was go to the caretakers and ask for a long wait. And I hear that's quite a, quite a sort of common one in industry. And also like asking for, a, is it, oh, what else do you do in nurse? Rachel say, in hospitals we do this. Things like ask for a glass hammer, uh, what's a gold magnet? Go and get a youth station tube. The ones who've had medical training laugh their heads off at that. Everyone else is going, no idea. Especially the men again, ask the ladies. Uh, but we told Sophie to go and ask for a long wait, and she did. And the caretakers, working out where we were going with it, said, yeah, wait there. But soon they weren't too cruel with her and let her go. But this idea of a long wait, we've heard about already 12 years. 12 years this woman has had to deal with this situation. 12 years, all the things she tried to go to, they haven't helped, they haven't worked. What does she do? There are many of us here who've hoped for certain things, things that we felt God's promised us or things that we really feel we need. We're pleading with God for, but we're waiting. How then do we respond to that? This lady, for 12 years, she was able to speak to Jesus and touch Jesus. But there are many of us who are just saying, it's been too long. Don't let the length of time crush and kill your hope. Keep going. Next one, feeling let down. It says that she'd been to many doctors. And we know in those times, doctors could mean a lot of different things from people who were wise people in the community, people who just sort of did a bit of hocus pocus and made it look like they know what they were doing, but had no clue. There were charlatans, there were proper medical experts, but obviously their technological advances were nowhere like they are today. But she had been to these people, she tried it all. However, hope means our past and our past experiences need not limit our future. So the fact she'd had this long wait, the fact that people had meddled, people had let her down, that doesn't crush hope. So often we let it, don't we? I remember praying for someone in the old building, and to be honest, especially then, it was probably about 10 years ago, and I wasn't usually that keen on praying with people. I don't know why, I've sort of got over it a bit more now, but 
at the end of a service and somebody says, right, we're going to pray for people to be healed and we're going to pray for people to have a touch from God. And this person came forward and I prayed. And no sooner as I, I said the word amen at the end, and I can't remember what I prayed, but obviously it was praying that God would touch this person, minister this person, be there for this person. said amen and she just turned and went, no, no. I haven't felt anything. I was like, oh, cheers, ta. But then she said, the amount of people I've been to and I've not felt anything, not felt anything at all. And this person, even though she was going through the right motions, I believe, that in her mind she'd already gone, no, things won't happen. God can't be in this situation. Don't let the repeat of what you've done, things that have happened in the past, limit the hope that you've got for the future. The next one, and this is slightly tenuous, but you'll allow it me, won't you? Yes, we will allow, because... It doesn't actually say that the crowd was stopping this person from getting to Jesus. Both Jairus and both the woman were able to get to him. But so easily the crowd could have been a hope killer. The mass of people, the people around, could have been something that physically stopped them getting to Jesus. And we read stories of that, don't we? But she was able to push through and Jairus was able to get access. But so often the people around us, are they helping us get to Jesus? Very, very challenging for me as a Christian and hopefully for you. When you're part of the crowd, do you get people nearer to Jesus or are you in the way? Sometimes we can make it all about us and all about what we say and what we do. But in these situations, the thing that both of those people needed was Jesus close. Jesus close to the woman, close so she could touch her, and also close to Jairus' daughter so he could speak and say those words of life. As a member of the crowd, are you somebody who speaks hope and words of hope. Are you somebody who's able to point people to Jesus? Or sometimes, without meaning to be, are we a bit of a blockage? That can be a hope killer. Another one, evidence. In verse 35. Oh, I'm on the wrong. That's the, here we are. <laughs> evidence. I was in Mark 7 there. Uh, evidence. It says here, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter is dead. There is no need to bother the teacher anymore. There, that is evidence, isn't it? And it's very clear in that sense that she's dead. There is nothing you can do. Don't bother Jesus. But in this situation, Jesus was able to go further. And do more than the evidence shown. Jesus was able to minister in a way that they never knew at all. The evidence was saying one thing, but Jesus was able to do another. And then in verse 40, conventional wisdom. When Jesus came in to see the girl, 
They laughed, didn't they? The people who were there to comfort, people who were there to help the family, they laughed. And I love it when Jesus just sends them out and goes, get out of the way. But conventional wisdom is saying there is nothing that can be done. But Jesus is on the case here. And hope is still alive. Now it's very, I want it to be very clear that just because we're talking about hope, it doesn't always mean we get what we want and we get the route that think we think will happen. That is very clear. And I didn't realize, I thought hope was mentioned throughout the Bible from almost Genesis throughout to the end. But actually, the word hope doesn't come in much in the Old Testament, the early part of the Old Testament. The theme of hope is very much there, isn't it? Because it's all about how God rescues us from the sin, straight away from the garden, and hope throughout. And all throughout Israel's history, the hope against oppression, the hope against dark forces around them. But actually, hope in the truest form, one of the first times it's mentioned is Naomi. And Naomi was the mother-in-law of Ruth. And the first time it's really mentioned in this context, she's basically saying, I've got no hope at all. My husband's dead. My two sons are dead. Nothing can happen. And this is the point where Ruth and the other daughter-in-law are making a decision. What do they do? Do they stay with Naomi or do they go? Should I stay or should I go now? And what they're going to do is make a decision based on what Naomi's saying to them. And Naomi says, if I had hope that I would have sons and I'd have a husband again, great. But I'm too old. It's not going to happen. There is no hope. The hope that then happened wasn't that suddenly her husband came back to life and her two sons came back to life. That is not what happened at all. But because of the faithfulness of Ruth, the Moabite S, who then said, no, I'm going to stick by you. I'm going to be with you, Naomi. And we're going to journey this together. A new hope came out. A new future for that family. So Naomi dearly would have wanted her husband and her sons back. That didn't happen. But through Ruth's actions and God working with that family, a group came forward that would bless Naomi, but also bless Israel. As we look at this picture on the screen, hope isn't obvious. You've got to look at it a bit more for it to come through. It isn't shining fully, but it's there in the darkness. Nelson Mandela, he talks about throughout his incarceration that in the dark cells at night, he still felt there was hope. Not just hope for him, but hope for his nation. Desmond Tutu said... Hope is being able to see there is light despite all the darkness. As a church, what are we seeing? Are we seeing darkness or are we seeing hope? 
as an individual, as families, what are you seeing? Are you seeing darkness or are you seeing hope? It's very clear what our hope needs to be built on. And Paul talks about this a lot. A lot of the songs we sing about hope are based on scriptures. For example, one of my favorite songs growing up, because it was quite lively, was one called Jesus is King and I Will Extol Him. And it says, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain, gone through the curtain and touching the throne. And that's based on Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It means we enter the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And what Jesus has done on the cross gives us hope. Gives us hope in the darkness. But I felt I had a word, and I don't usually get that many words, so I'm praying it through. And for me... You've, we've all got to test words, don't we, and look what they actually mean. But test it, how this relates to you as an individual and you as a church, us as a church, sorry. And all I can think in this picture was three areas. The first area was obviously despair. And it's horrible mountains full of rubbish. Anybody looking at it, all they could think of that area is despair. And nobody in their right mind would go there because it's despair. Why on earth would I want to go into that region? We guarded against it. We don't want to go back into it. Despair, horrible. Everybody's wise to it. Nobody's going to go there. Then in the middle, there's just a normal field. Nothing special about it. Nothing horrible about it. There's a field. And then the third area, you can't really see past the sign that just says hope. That's all you can see, the sign saying hope. So you've got despair, horrible area to the left, in the middle, normal sort of field, and then the area saying hope, but we don't know what's in it. I felt that God said there are many people who are in this middle ground. They know they don't want to be in despair. They know what God's done for them. But actually, they're suspicious of hope. I don't know what we'd name this middle ground, whether it's a bit of disappointment, whether it's mediocre, whether it's the feeling of nothing really will get better, or until I see that something changes, I won't put my trust anywhere. I've been bruised and I've been let down, so I can't go. I can't put myself in that hope situation again. I'm far better staying in this field. Because actually, when we think about that area, there's nothing really wrong with it, or it doesn't feel wrong. It's comfortable enough. It's easy. And I believe there are many people who that's where we are. We've been battered, we've been hurt. We trust God, we love God. But to feel really hopeful, to feel excited about a future, we struggle with that at times. There's things that we talked about, hope killers. We feel we've waited for too long. 
We've waited for too long for something to happen. Maybe we feel let down by people or situations. Maybe people around us aren't saying or doing the things that we want. Evidence, things that we've seen, they just show us that we can't have hope. We, can't, we, c- we don't want to be hurt again. Or conventional wisdom. When you've started talking with people around you or looking at the cold hard facts, well, where can we go from here? And that's the, the picture I had. I can't actually tell you what's behind that sign saying hope. All I know is that God is saying it is good. It is where he wants us to be. And that's for each of us to decide and to look at how do we get into that next area? How do we get away from disappointment and hurt and actually take them with us and put them into Jesus' arms? A few of you know some of the stuff that's gone on in my life. And a few of you know that there's times where I've been, yay, everything's brilliant. And like all of us, times where we've just felt there is no hope whatsoever. And probably about eight years ago, one of the worst times for me, and I remember on a Sunday actually lying on bed, crying, nothing I felt could happen. There were so many things I felt I'd lost and wouldn't come back. And two words were given to me. One I just felt God gave to me, and one was somebody from the congregation didn't know the situation at all, sent. And there were ten words. There is two on the one word, and eight on the other. Paul, that adds up to ten, doesn't it? Yep. He was about to get his socks off so he could start counting, but no, we got that. Ten words. The first one was from Exodus 3, 14 to 15. It's when God's speaking to Moses, and where he's saying why Moses should trust him. And it was, I am. Two words, those two words meant so much to me in that situation. And still now, whenever I hear it, it makes me tingle. Because those two words, when everything seems to just crash around me, knowing that God is there, and God was there for me. And the other eight words, and I, I, I did try a lot of times last night counting to check it was eight. So if it's nine or seven, I'm just a bit thick. But it's Psalm 34, eight. It was a song we sung a lot at the time, but very strongly I felt God speak to me and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And at the time I didn't know what to do with that. But I can definitely see... As nowadays, looking back, I tasted and I saw that God was good. Does it mean I didn't have hurt? No, not at all. Does it mean everything happened the way I wanted? No. Lots of things I just didn't want to happen, happened. But I saw that God was there. I think as a church, we've been listening to words, haven't we? Been listening to what God says. But it's important we make those words really sink in and we grasp them. It's very easy to just get burdened by what's going on and think, well, if God's going to move, let's just see. It's about putting ourselves in that situation where we're resting on God. We're with God. We're in that hope 
section with him and letting him lead us. When I was thinking about that picture, I thought, well, is the, is the middle area, that sort of disappointment area, is that the wilderness? Because often we talk about the wilderness, don't we? And I felt God saying, no, that's not the wilderness. Because most people know when they're in their wilderness. This is a sort of default position where we just, we're trying to do the right thing, but we can't quite get there. Because maybe we've lost that trust. Maybe we've lost that hope. I think it's really important, like those words of hope that I had, that we pass on messages of hope. There are different people here today who we often might come up and stand and go, this happened to me, hurrah, and we all clap and we love it. But we forget, don't we? We forget the stories of hope that inspire us. And looking around the congregation, I know there are many stories that we've shared with each other. Actually, we need to do that again. We need to continue to share stories of where God has brought hope into our lives. And also the promises that God has given us. And pray through them. Get excited about them. Wrestle on them together. But also think about those messages of hope how we can carry them to people outside. There's a, a thing that I didn't know about until I started looking at, at this subject, is there's an organisation or a, a sort of project called the Seven Stories of Hope. And when you look online, it's all about seven stories about Jesus and hope and how then you can explain them to people around. So if you do a Google search, if you know what that is, you can easily look. Seven Stories of Hope. And it gives you very practical ways of looking at these stories from the Bible and then how you explain them to people at your workplace or people in your family. Because what we don't want to be is just people who say, well, yeah, we're sorted now. We know as a church we have hope. We know as a church we have purpose. Individually, times are tough, but yes, I have hope. What we want to be people who bring hope into our communities. Hope, light, into the different areas. Because people who we come in contact, they go through the struggles that we go through. And they need that hope. They need that word. So let's look as we finish on just this from Romans. And this is Romans 2. No, Romans 5, sorry, verses 2 to 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. This is really key. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So hopefully, as we go today, we can look at our situation. Remember I said, have you got battles? And hopefully that's in your mind. But you'd still think about the battles. 
It's incredibly important that we bring those battles to Jesus. And we come close to him with them. And we don't let hope go. I just want to, as we finish, do a bit of a benediction. And if the worship team could come up. And it's just very simply the ending from Romans 15, 13. I'm going to say it a few times. Because sometimes when we pray stuff over people and speak stuff over people, it can get lost in what happens next. Or it can get lost in what we're going to do after this. So before we sing our final songs, before we worship this God who can bring so much joy and hope into our lives, and already has, I'm just going to pray this a couple of times over us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Last time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.